Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Sean, we got all nervous that you left because you turned the, your video off on the Zoom and Tim was like, where'd your guests go? I started getting nervous that I was going to have to fill a whole hour uh, without without you. But thanks for being here. Oh, um, thanks for having me. <laughs> so again, our uh, guest this morning is Sean P. Kelly, who is a, an attorney. Uh, it sounds like largely specializing in bankruptcy for your firm, Marcotte Law Firm in, uh, may, looks like main office Lowell, but also offices in Woburn and Andover. Um, we've had some great discussions so far regarding, you know, uh, leading up to bankruptcy. How do you know you're there? Things to do to avoid it, et cetera. And I did want to uh, start getting into some of the, of the logistics uh, for the different types of uh, bankruptcy bankruptcy options for people. So um, before the break, we were talking about chapter seven. I want to go a little bit further on this one just to, to help uh, me and, and our listeners understand <clears throat> the two different options. So I guess chapter seven is what we call the liquidation option, right? Yeah. Where uh, where uh, non-exempt assets are liquidated to satisfy creditors. Um, and then sort of you were saying that you take a bath and you come out clean, right? The slate mm-hmm. is wiped clean with regards to the debt. Uh, we'll talk about the aftermath and effects on credit and things like that uh, in a moment. But um, I, we got a little bit interrupted when you were talking about non-exempt assets. So I guess non-exempt assets are the ones that would be sold to satisfy creditors, right? right? And you were saying that, you know, s- some equity equity in a car that exceeds $7,500, I think you said equity in uh, jewelry that exceeds $1,200, equity in a primary residence that exceeds $500,000. That's a high exemption on that, uh, seems to me. What about retirement accounts? How talk, I'm, I'm assuming all financial accounts are on the table or are retirement accounts exempt? So it, it, it depends on the type of retirement account, but the vast majority of retirement accounts are non-exempt. Okay. Um, I, I'm sorry, are are exempt. Oh, most uh, retirement accounts I, I, are exempt. Yes, okay. Are they are exempt, right? As long as it's a legit, you know, 401k, something like that, um, it, it's it's going to be exempted, right? Okay. Because you can't. The idea is that you can't easily access that money unless you take a penalty or something like yeah. that. Um, so. Those are exempted by statute. And the federal one, I think it's all right. There is a cap to that federally. In Massachusetts, there's not. The federal exemption to IRAs is up to $1.3 million. Oh, that's pretty high, Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a substantial sum of money. So, And then... You know, Social Security, disability benefits, uh, things like that. Those are all other public benefits. Those are all exempt assets. Okay. Um, so it, it's the big one, though, again, is the house. And the, the key with the house is that you have to have the recorded homestead exemption. Um, if you don't record the homestead, it's only 125000 right? So oh, okay. So if you file for bankruptcy tomorrow and you don't have a homestead recorded on it and you file a seven, 
the trustee is going to grab whatever if, if you have wow. 125,000 in equity in the house which you know if you've if you've gotten a loan in the past 10 years and because of housing prices have, have gone up mm-hmm. you know a lot of people in Massachusetts do have more than 100,000 in equity in their house yep. and that can be that can be concerning um, so quick pitch I know Peter touched on this but again it's sixty dollars to record. Just record the homestead. Yeah. It's good to have, anyways. And it, it and the, the the reason why these laws exist too. It's they don't just apply to bankruptcies. They these exemptions apply to uh, any creditor pursuing you, right? So if a credit card company gets a judgment against you, their options are to attach your wages, garnish your bank account, or yep. to. Um, uh, put a lien on your house. Okay. These same exemptions that I'm just describing come from those protections that protect you if they, uh, if a creditor comes after you and tries to put a lien on your house. Yeah, they can put a lien on your house, but they can't foreclose on it if you have the homestead and you have less than 500000 in equity in the house because there's no, you're protected under the Homestead Act. So, oh, okay. um, anyways, but they, those are the exemptions, um, and they, they differ whether or not – they differ from state to state. So if you're filing in New Hampshire, you get a whole different okay. a whole different book. The Massachusetts ones are different, and then the federal ones are different. The federal ones are a lot less favorable when it comes to homestead stuff. It's real property up to uh, equity of 25000 Oh, wow. So you can see yeah. if, if you got a house in Massachusetts and you got – more than 25,000 in equity in it, I'm not using the federal exemptions on you. Yeah. Um, but they have a more favorable wildcard exemption, which is up to 13,000. So that means that if, if you don't have a house and you have, let's say a boat that's worth under $13,000, I'm probably going to choose the federal exemptions for you. Okay. Because of the wildcard. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I would put it under there. Um, but I'm assuming like any non-retirement account, if, yeah. you know, investment account, um, second home, um, if you have multiple cars, um, can I assume yeah. that they're only exempting 7,500 like on your first automobile? And if you have a second one, uh, boats, things like that, right? Recreational vehicles, um, all those it. are non-exempt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you have a second car or an ATV or something mm-hmm. and it's in your name, yeah, that's a problem. Um, so hopefully we can exempt it under the wild card. And if not, either the trustee is going to seize it or I'm going to have to enter into some sort of payment plan with the trustee to pay back the, the value of the asset. Okay. Um, so, and, and this is where things start to get complicated, right? Like, because generally I think people are honest, but there are a lot of people who try to take advantage of bankruptcy protections. Mm. What they'll do is they'll file for a seven and they'll say, I don't have any assets. And then on further digging, you'll realize that they move the ATV to their brother. They put the boat in their wife's name and then, you know, uh, they transferred the house to their son. So it's like, and that's, that's where, that's where people get into trouble with bankruptcies, right? Because, It's very easy for a trustee, again, that's the individual who's overseeing the bankruptcy process to make sure they're keeping you honest, essentially. Yeah. Because the courts can't oversee however many of these you said. What is it? 700,000 a year? 700,000 a year, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the courts can't, a judge can't oversee each petition. So they hire these things, these um, attorneys called trustees. Yeah. And they're, they're respected bankruptcy attorneys in the area who are essentially hired guns for the federal government who make sure that you're being honest on your petition. And how far back are the trustees looking to look for transfers of titles and assets? 
Yeah. So it de- it depends whether or not the the transfer is an insider or not. Um, so if they're an insider, so an insider would be like a relative or okay. a business partner or something like that. Yeah. And if you're making those types of transfers, the trustee could unwind. So that's that's the operative term that we use in the uh, in the law. They could unwind that transaction if if it occurred within uh, a year. So and 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 that's Sorry. that brings me to a, another aspect of of bankruptcy practice, which is where things can get interesting. Is they have these things that they're called lawsuits. They're called adversary proceedings. They're basically lawsuits within uh, bankruptcies petitions where the trustee will try to seek down certain assets and mm-hmm. stuff or they'll try to say that a debtor is being dishonest and and that's when you need a bankruptcy litigator like myself who's got experience in the court who's willing to you know take this to trial if need be so like it, it sometimes we'll see this in the context of um a debtor will sell a property right before they sell, right before they file for bankruptcy, or they'll they'll sell it six months before they file for bankruptcy. And you go, okay, well, who cares if they sold the property? Yeah. Well, there's a provision in the bankruptcy code that says that if a property is sold um, within a certain amount of time of the bankruptcy petition, and it's sold for a lesser value than what it's worth, mm. the trustee can unwind that transaction. Okay. So even if the debtor who's selling their property and the, this prospective new buyer of the property had no relationship whatsoever, right? It doesn't even have to be a family member. It could be anybody. Yeah. yeah. Right. It could just be someone who's business savvy, wanted to pay cash for it. Maybe the property's worth 300000 and they go, look, we'll give you 200000 in cash, right? Because they want to, you know, the debtor wants to do a quick sale. The trustee can now right. file an action to unwind that and even take title of that property from that oh. innocent buyer. So it's not even on right? paper. You're not even talking about them unwinding it on paper. You mean literally reversing the transaction and taking the asset back. You got it. Wow. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And they're called clawback actions. And they they, they happen more often wow. than you think because a debtor is usually in financial distress. So they're, you know, it's like a fire sale sometimes. They're trying to get rid of their property um, and, and stuff to make a quick buck. How, how um, are you protecting yourself as the buyer of that? hypothetical property are you just can you protect yourself at all against that other than be cognizant of that situation and don't buy something too far under market value if you can avoid it unless it's a falling suppose, real estate market I suppose yeah, yeah. And, and you might you might have a uh, you might have a claim against the the debtor too at some point oh, okay um, yeah for that you know like if if you had out of pocket expenses as a result of this maybe you were going to run a, a business there or something and there were a ton of upfront costs and now you have to pay the trustee yeah. back for the difference in the market value right like wow. so it's um yeah, I, I, I think I don't think that there's a good way of avoiding it except wow. for just knowing who you're who, who you're buying, buying property from, from and maybe being aware yeah. of something because it sounds like that would only happen if it was pretty significantly under market value, right? If you're exactly. talking five, ten thousand dollars, especially in like a falling real estate market, I'm sure yeah. that's not, not nothing to be too concerned about. I'm actually yeah. surprised that the the look back period, if I can call it that, is only a year. Yeah. It seems for for asset transfers. Uh, leading up to bankruptcy, it seems to me that it could be longer than that. That's a pretty short period of time, in my opinion. Yeah, and again, um, and it varies from state to state, but from from our standpoint, right, as a bankruptcy attorney who represents debtors, I, I love that it's one year, right? Because yeah. It, it, sometimes yeah. It, it sometimes it allows it allows for like someone's not ready to do bankruptcy now. You know, it it 
and they've they've made a decision that they're not going to keep this house for the rest of their life and they were going to transfer it to their son or daughter anyways right like be, to make things easier for when they pass later on mm-hmm. and the discussion that we might have is look you know you can transfer it wait the period and then we can discuss bankruptcy later on yeah you know? yeah um, so it's like you can you can see that that, that short period actually works in our advantage a it lot. works for the debtors and it probably angers the creditors. Yeah. Of course. Um, course. Let's go a little further with chapter seven, which is the liquidation type of uh, our uh, bankruptcy option. Let's talk about the longer term. Actually, one question before we talk about the effects of that and credit scores and things like that. Um, In this liquidation option, we are liquidating the non-exempt assets to pay off the debts. Is there any um, is there any impact on the annual income that's forced to be sent toward debt payments or anything like that? I know we're, we're talking about people that fall under a certain threshold for annual income. So we're not talking about the people that are qualifying for this don't have a substantial amount of income, at least for that six month period um, during which they file. But is there any requirements regarding income being sent towards debt in chapter seven? No, no. So there's no, there's no, nothing gets sent to the, um, to the creditors unless there's a non-exempt asset that the trustee would liquidate or the debtor would basically pay the value of the non-exempt asset to the trustee. Okay. So let's say that, so if you had a bank account that it's got 10 grand in it, you can only exempt 2,500. If there's 10 grand in the account, literally we'd just write the check to the trustee for 7,500 and then they would disperse that amongst the creditors on a pro rata basis. Okay. So chapter seven sounds like it's most appropriate for people that have a relatively low amount of income, at least in a six month period of time during which they could file. And um, I guess a small amount of assets because you as their attorney would be recommending someone with more significant assets, maybe choose the other type, right? So, so someone with a small amount of assets, equity and properties and things like that might be more appropriate. Uh, candidates for Chapter Seven, but have to meet those income thresholds. Um, talk about the aftermath. The the uh, I know that it affects credit score and ability to yeah. borrow money for several years to come. So, can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah. So that's that's always a concern of our clients, right? Like, first of all, when it, when a client comes to us, there's usually a lot of shame, right? There's there's these are good people who want to pay their creditors back. Um, and there's, there's often a lot of shame and embarrassment surrounding why they haven't been able to pay back. And, and they're generally, they're all good people who aren't trying to job the system. Right. So like the reason why I say that is because they, they, they're the biggest concern that always gets raised is, well, am I ever going to be able to buy a house again? You know, am I ever going to be able to get a credit card again? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, things like that. And my answer to that is yes. Like, yes, there's always a lender who's willing to, to, uh, to lend to these folks post bankruptcy. Now, is a lender going to lend to you on day one after you file your petition? Probably not. Um, it's going to take some time. You're going to have to rebuild your rebuild your credit. And and people always go, well, I'm concerned about how my credit is. You know, if I file for bankruptcy and stuff. By the time they get to me, their credit's usually in the tank anyway. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. like it's if if you miss enough payments, short of short of what Peter was was discussing about how medical bills can't be recorded you know, within a year, a year yep. but 
if you miss a payment on your car loan and you're 30 days loan, you know, Toyota records that right away. It's mm-hmm. already on there. So you, you, it's, and then you amplify that for 12 months worth of missed payments across multiple credit mm-hmm. in your 700 credit scores now on the fives. So the idea that the bankruptcy is going to make things worse. Yeah. I mean, it will make it a little worse, but your credit's already in the tank anyway. So why not use this as an opportunity to get rid of the debt and to start, start anew. So yeah. uh, in terms of the, the, the the credit reporting it's going to be a chapter seven is going to be on your credit report for 10 years 10 years um, okay yeah and a uh, a 13 is less i think it's seven years and so but just because it's on yeah. your credit report doesn't necessarily mean you'll have awful credit for 10 years right if they are right. after after the chapter seven and they proceed with good financial habits and you know paying their bills and things like that just because it's on the credit score does that necessarily mean they'll never they won't get credit for 10 years they won't get be able to take a loan for 10 years bingo you got it yeah. I mean Alyssa it's it's different than right as you pointed out if they're being smart, um, and I usually advise people to take out like a credit card or something and use it to buy gas and, and uh, pay right just off. Pay it off. And, yeah. Right, right, yep. right, right, right. Start small and, and like that. And then eventually things will start to creep up. And as there's no more missed payments and stuff before, you know, it, someone's willing to lend to you. And then the other thing is, too, there's also there's always additional options, right? Like if you can't. Um, if you don't qualify for the mortgage that you want right away, you know, you could bring in a cosigner, you know, so there's, there's, there's additional options out there to make things work. It's certainly not a life of no one lending to you. Mm -hmm. I I have plenty of clients who years later have been able to secure, uh, you know, a mortgage and, and years after a bankruptcy. So, um, it just, it, it takes take some smart financial habits and some time and you'll get there. Is it a public process though? Is it a public filing? Are people worried about that? Yeah. 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 It is. But what I will say is that it's, um, you'd have to be pretty savvy to look it up. It's a, you can't just do a Google it's not search like for in Sean the, It's not like in the local Mariner, right? It's right, not, right, it's not right. in, the, in the ledger. Yeah. Is the Patriot ledger yeah. still a yeah. paper? I'm sorry, yeah, I don't you, know that. You have to have access, you have yeah. to, have access to uh, You'd have uh, to go this, look this, it up on the court website or something, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. post. It's not like, isn't it, is it like the probate process when someone dies, right? And through pro, probate, probate, that's public, right? That goes right into the yeah. newspaper, but, but does the Globe. bankruptcy yep. filings go in the Globe? They do not. Okay. They do not. Okay. So what so- what happens is everything's done electronically now, and it's done it's done through this uh, this federal program which is called Pacer or ECF, and they um in 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 you file through there. So to have access to it, you you either have to create a program, you have to create a login, or you have to be an attorney to have access to it. And um. And they charge it like 10 cents to look at each page. So like really mm. someone would have to, for an employer to figure this out, like they'd have to log on, sign up for Pacer and then pay 10 oh. cents a page to search for you. I didn't even think about um, that. Like employers might be interested in that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess I was thinking like friends and neighbors, like people, you know, people right. wouldn't, wouldn't want their social circles to be aware of things like that. You can understand that, right? Yeah, embarrassing. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of shame yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. It. yeah that's it. unfortunate. And you know, sometimes that, that, it, that, my heart goes out to, you know, people that are ashamed of that. And, you know, like you said, they're mostly good people and just think, you know, series of things happen and, and, you know, many of them may be out of their control and, and, uh, you know, that's unfortunate. Sometimes I meet people that come in or call, uh, in my business too. And, um, 
you know, I, I'm never judging anyone on where they are financially. And I meet people of all different levels of income and different levels of assets. And, and sometimes I meet those people that are kind of like, well, this is the situation. And then, and then they feel the need to explain further, like why mm-hmm. this is the situation and, right. and all this stuff happened. And I just, you know, try to put them at ease. Like, Hey, don't worry about it. I, I see all different situations and no judgment right. here and we're here to help. Right. So I'm sure you're the same. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Anything else on chapter seven? Um, I think we touched on a lot of the stuff there. That's for people that, you know, meet a certain, uh, have to fall under certain thresholds for income. Generally, in your opinion, anyway, appropriate for someone that doesn't have a lot in the way of assets because uh, you want to be able to protect, someone that has more substantial assets, you want to be able to protect them. So we'll talk about chapter 13 in a minute. Um, So with chapter seven, and I think you said at the very beginning of the show that sometimes debts can be settled for pennies on the dollar. So am I assuming you mean in chapter seven where someone might have a substantial amount of credit card debt or something? And um, if there's very few in the way of assets, to liquidate, it is what it is. De- debts are wiped clean, and and we yeah. start fresh from there. Yeah, exactly. So again, if if I'm doing the chapter seven right, which there's been times when we when we've had assets liquidated, but generally, you know, the goal of the chapter seven is to walk in with everything that you start the process with, right? So the um, you know the the creditors probably aren't getting anything if anything at all wow, okay. um, get, they're not getting much if anything at all under the chapter 7 process um, it, with the chapter 13 like if we do it right right then oftentimes the debtor will end up paying back pennies on the dollar it, again it depends on on each situation but yeah. I, I think a, another important thing that I that I uh, failed to disclose on the chapter 7 is, is that it can be done uh, jointly or individually, right? Oh, so, oh good, po- good point. Okay. Yeah. So uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll represent uh, married couples. Mm-hmm. Um, so these will be, um, at least with my spouse and I, right? Like we have shared accounts. We have uh, shared credit cards. We each have, you know, whatever lender. Both our names are on the mortgage, things yeah. like that. So, and you can see that could be complicated, right? If one spouse decides to file for bankruptcy and the other one doesn't and you go, well, you know, like, how does that work? The petition allows me to do so. So I could do a joint filing of the whole Kelly family of, you know, my spouse and I, um, and, okay. and we would both come out clean on the other side. So all of those exemptions and stuff, you would just essentially double them. Um, and then, uh, yeah. Or, so, or you could do it just on one spouse and the other spouse, yeah. if there's any debt, keeps the debt. No impact exactly. to that one spouse's credit score. That spouse right. could be responsible moving forward for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, taking on additional debt if needed in the future because of the higher credit score. So that's good to know that there are options yeah. there. Okay, I can't believe it. We have to take another break. That went really, really fast. Um, but we'll take a quick break, and then we'll talk about Chapter 13 when we come back and sort of wrap up the show with that. You're listening Great. to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Awesome guest this morning, Sean Kelly, who's a bankruptcy attorney, and I know you do other things as well in your practice, Marcotte Law Firm, uh, based out of Lowell. Um, this has been great. Thank Thank you. We're, we'll wrap up the show on Chapter 13 Bankruptcies just in a minute. Be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. 
And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. We've had an awesome show this morning, and we'll wrap it up here in the next 30 minutes. Uh, my guest this morning has been Sean P. Kelly with Marcotte Law Firm. Uh, Sean is their bankruptcy special bankruptcy specialist in your firm. Extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah, bank, thank you. Bankruptcy attorney extraordinaire at Marcotte Law Firm. <laughs> uh, they're based out of Lowell, but I have offices in Andover and Woburn. Um, Sean, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I, you know, years and years ago, we had a bankruptcy attorney um, come on the show. It's been a really long time. I know you did a show with Justin not too long ago, maybe last year, but regrettably the attorney that we um, used to use passed away and, and um, hadn't had another one on since. So uh, this has been great. Awesome. You clearly know your stuff and, and this has been great. So we, let's get into some details regarding chapter 13 bankruptcy, which is you're calling it like the payment plan type, right? right? Um, right. So, so help us get going there regarding like who this is appropriate for, what it looks like, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So a, a, a chapter 13 plan is uh, admirable. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a wise choice for a, a few reasons. The, the biggest one is that it, it has better foreclosure uh, protections. So it basically it, it stays the foreclosure proceedings um, for like a, a longer period than a chapter seven one, right? Okay. So in, in every bankruptcy case, no matter what, what you file, uh, a court order goes out that's called an automatic stay. And it tells all collection, all collectors that they have to stay whatever they're doing. So the benefit to filing for bank, any type of bankruptcy is, is it immediately prevents a collector from doing what they're about to do. So oftentimes that will be if they're starting an auction uh, to sell your house in the forms okay. of foreclosure or if they're about to attach your wages, things like that. There are better protections for uh, for the stay for the automatic stay in the context of Chapter 13. Okay. It also allows you to... Um, like cram down uh, certain debts that 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 are uh, certain secured debts. So it's okay. it's useful in a in a context where a car is about to be repoed too, because it allows you to separate the principal debt versus uh, the debt that you've you've accrued in the form of interest and stuff on a repoed car. Okay. So, um, anyways, so the so two people that that that. I would be interested in putting through a chapter 13 is if their house is being foreclosed on and basically if they make above uh, $75,000 um, annually. Those limits or, that were appropriate for chapter 7, right? Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it, it the, the, the benefit, and then you go, okay, well, that's great. So, now that I'm in a chapter 13, what am I going to pay back? Because that's going to determine whether or not I file, right? Yeah. So it's it's one of two things. It's the greater of either number. It's either the uh, greater number of the sum total of your non-exempt assets okay. distributed distributed amongst three to five years, or your disposable monthly income for three to five years. So. And those numbers are often different, right? Like if you have non-exempt assets of, let's say that you have a boat that's worth $10,000 and everything else is exempt minus the boat that's worth $10,000, that would mean that uh, under that you might, under a Chapter 13, pay back $10,000 across three to five years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, versus... Versus in, in, that in, in that instance, if you're making significant money, yeah. that, that's going to be a much lower number than... 
your disposable Ex- income. And, exactly. how are, and how are they calculating disposable income? Is someone looking at a budget worksheet or examining actual yeah. spending? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The trustee. Yeah. So yep. it's, 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 yeah, some of it you get to decide. Mm-hmm. Some of it is decided by national and local standards. Okay. So what they'll do is they'll take your, your average weekly income, uh, or I'm sorry, your average monthly income based off of your six months of pay stubs and stuff. Um, so we look at your gross, your gross monthly income, whatever that is. And then the, from that, they will subtract a variety of things. Uh, they might subtract cost of housing and rent, right? So that we would look to local standards for Middlesex County, right? So that might be an average apartment in Middlesex is like 1200 bucks or something for one person. Um, so you would deduct that. However, if you have a mortgage payment and it's $2,000 a month, I get to deduct that whole amount for your disposable income. And is that, so is that regardless yeah. of the, the value of the home? Like what if you're in a $2 million home and your mortgage payment is you know, eight, 10 grand a month. Doesn't matter. So you can see your disposable monthly. So it almost like wow. rewards people who have really high mortgage yeah. payments, yeah. right? Because your disposable monthly income, like if you're paying back 8,000 a month on on a mortgage, right? I don't care what you're making. You're just, your disposable monthly income is probably not going to be all that much, which is to your advantage because- okay then you only have to pay that back across three to five years. So someone like that might be paying $8,000 a month on a mortgage payment and might end up paying their creditors back you know, five hundred a month for three years. Wow, that or I'm five sorry, years. But that doesn't, that's great for for debtors, yeah. Um, yeah. but I can see how that could be angering for creditors. Yeah. What about yeah. what about like savings? What about somebody's you know maxing their four hundred one k? Is that considered a mandatory expense, or is that they make them reverse that and that's discretionary? Some some of them. Some of them you can deduct if it's uh, like mandatory, like a mandatory retirement. So the a perfect example is like a state pension like or something. Like a pension, like, yep, yep. Yeah, you, you don't have a say in yeah. how much of your salary is getting taken out for that. But if it's a voluntary retirement mm-hmm. plan and you just elect to give a thousand a month to it because you want to, like, yeah, unfortunately, someone like that's going to be punished okay. in the chapter 13, okay. right? Because I can't, I can't deduct that. Okay. Um, so if you have high secured secured payments um De- uh, debt payments on like a real asset you mean like a correct. like a car yeah. or a boat or something that's secured by the value of the asset okay bingo bingo yeah yeah so secured creditors right uh through the where there's collateral involved like a car or a house or something if you have high secured payments yeah chapter 13 is going to be great for you because your your disposable monthly income is going to be much smaller um versus if you're renting and uh you're voluntarily paying into your own uh retirement plan on the side like i'm sorry you know your disposable month it looks like your disposable monthly income is much higher Mm. uh, very high when you know, in reality, I get it. You're just trying to do the right thing to save some money for retirement. So, but someone could have like, you know, uh, 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 so there could be a high income earner that could have a valuable house, right? Make an eight, $10,000 a month house payment. What if they have like a $100,000 boat and there's a payment on that of, I don't know, what's a payment on a $100,000 boat? 5000 a month? I don't know. Yes, or yeah. 2000 a month. Um, so, so any, are you saying that any secured debt payment is exempt and is, 
It, it, yeah, that- it goes towards the calculus for disposable monthly income, right? Okay. Which is going to determine how much you pay back for a monthly payment. So if it's a secured, if it's a secured creditor, um, you get to you get to deduct that from your um, wow. from your your income, right. which makes it look like you have a much lower. Right. So if you have if you have a summer house on the Cape or on Winnipesaukee or something, yeah, and like you would think payment. someone like that's going to pay back like a, a ton of money back, but actually not because. Okay their secured payments are so high. Interesting. That's why you were saying, you said toward the beginning of the show that someone with a substantial amount of assets is like, chapter 13 is likely more appropriate for them because they get in these, they would get to keep their assets. So is it possible, have you had any experiences of someone going through chapter 13 that, um, that has a significant amount of assets and, and could be a higher income earner, but really shows no discretionary income? And I would, yeah. which I guess actually that makes sense because if they're if they really didn't have discretionary if they really did have discretionary income they would have been paying back the debt. Exactly. Theoretically, exactly. anyway, yeah. right? Unless it was exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, it, it, the process is what it is. I'm not yeah. saying it's right or fair, yeah. you know, but it is. It is what it is, and uh, yeah, it, it sometimes it works out that way, um, okay. and sometimes it sometimes it works out when uh, you know these people are. The, in, in this is a difficult conversation that I have with people. Sometimes I'll run the numbers for Chapter Thirteen, and we come to the conclusion that, hey, look, you're going to end up paying back a hundred, you know, ninety or a hundred percent of the debt across five years. Like, yeah, if you want that, okay, we can do it, but we should probably go the route that Peter discussed, which is just call up the creditors and see if they're willing to take a break and enter into a payment plan with them. Yeah, and is that because? With a payment plan, it's not impacting your credit score, and with a with a uh, bankruptcy, it is. Bingo. Or there, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, it's going to have less ramifications, right? Like yeah. it's not you're not going to have that waiting period where you, uh, you know, where you where you have to build your credit up again and stuff. But again, most of the people who I deal with don't have a choice, which is that they're something's about to be seized or their wages are about to be garnished, something like that. So, um, oftentimes that's not, that's not, um, that's not the best option. And, and, and that's making the assumption that the creditor is willing to deal with you. Right. Um, I, I think Peter's advice was all very sound and stuff, but there, there are times when a creditor is just like, no, you know, you can pay the full balance or pay nothing. You know, we do, we're just going to trudge on with the litigation. Yeah, so. and they and like I said, most creditors, you know, have deeper pockets than the people that they're dealing with, and so yeah. can you know, or maybe just fine taking them to court and not worried about the legal expenses. Right. As a right. result of that, um, and obviously, like, and and you know, with negotiating a payment plan is likely a less expensive option for the debtor as well versus going through the bankruptcy proceeding but and I get actually let me preface that do you can do, can you go through the bankruptcy proceeding without an attorney or do you need attorney representation or do you maybe you want attorney representation right and the and the cost of that is likely worth it yeah yeah i i, I think that there's this misconception right that um that all uh well i'm sorry i'll scratch that with, particularly with bankruptcies, at least how I do them, um, generally it's a flat a flat fee. So that's beneficial to the client because unlike other services that we do, it's you're not paying by the hour or anything. And the the reason for that is because I can't become a creditor of yours 
um, and then file for bankruptcy and have everyone's debt oh. discharged except for mine, right? <laughs> right. It, oh, okay. So, okay. So, so, so when when I enter into a Chapter Seven plan, and I uh, uh, my my rates are generally you know anywhere between two thousand and twenty five hundred, and that includes the the filing fee of okay. like. I think it's like three hundred and fifty bucks now, or three three hundred and thirty eight. Okay. So it, it's a, it's a flat fee that you're paying to me, and then at the end of it, you're getting out, right? So for two thousand bucks, you have peace of mind that you're never going to be sued again, and it will stop the wage the wage garnishment, and you don't pay anyone back. Versus if you enter into a payment plan, when you owe all of your credit card companies fifty thousand dollars. The best payment plan you're probably going to get is like 50% of the debt across like four or five payments. Okay. So you're still paying back 25000 So it, at some point, it's a cold, hard calculus, which is like, do you want to spend two grand to make this all go away? Or do you want to spend upwards of 25000 across the next you know, year trying to claw back when right. in reality you might never get out of this hole. Right. Oh, tough um, discussions. And right? you were saying that yeah. chapter 13 doesn't stay on your credit report quite as long as chapter 10, I believe. Yeah. I'm sorry, chapter uh, 7. Chapter 7. Chapter 7. Yeah. Okay. 7, I think you said 7 or 8 years. So, I mean, still a long time, but like we right. discussed previously, not necessarily just having that on your credit score shouldn't necessarily prevent someone from being able to obtain credit in the future, right? If they exactly. if they take other steps in order to improve credit after filing for bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I would say it's probably a few years. And I know some some lenders off the top of my head who I know immediately start sending, uh, you know, ads for credit cards and stuff mm. within months after someone files for bankruptcy. You know, like it's just one of them that jumps out is Discover will lend, you know, they'll lend to you almost right away. Well, so that doesn't yeah, make they, any sense. I know, that, I know. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about risk. I mean, I would admit, I think they're all really low limits. They're like $500, yeah, you know, but, really but that's what you do. Rate. You start, you build it up, you start working more, you know, you get you get a higher income and yeah. before you know it, the they're lending you more money if you want it, right? I like, would. As we were talking earlier in the show, I was sort of thinking about uh, credit issuing organizations, right? Banks, credit card companies, um, and how interest rates on credit cards are really high, right? You know, 18 to 28%, right? Could easily yeah. be in that range. And that frustrates people and angers people. And And I was thinking about this as we were talking and that, well, is part of the reason that they're they're charging such high interest rates that they're not all of their debtors are paying them back. Like, I, I don't know the statistics, like what, what percent of their debts are actually paid back, right? And it maybe, and you don't need to know the answer to that, but it was just sort of running through my mind. Like, yeah, maybe they don't need to be that high. And certainly these are for-profit organizations and, and they certainly can charge these rates because people are still taking out the credit card. They're still accepting right. the credit offers. Um, and if people just stopped accepting the credit offers, maybe interest rates would come down on credit cards, but you don't see that happening, right? No, and, no, um, no. And I just was wondering if like part of the reason is, well, you know, what percent of their debts are actually paid back, right? So what's well, really their average interest rate on the debts that are paid back, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's oh, fascinating, yeah. too, because I, I, I generally have these people, you know, we talked about in, it, there being a lot of shame when someone decides to file for bankruptcy and mm. stuff. And I have I have these folks who come in and they say, well, like, you know, I, I, I feel terrible about doing this. I love dealing with X bank. You know, they were they were good to me. They loaned to me. They gave me points. They did this and stuff. And it's like I wouldn't feel bad for these banks yeah. because the reality of it is, is that they're, they charge off the debt in six months and in charge okay. off is this process where they, uh, they essentially write off the debt from their taxes. So the idea that the bank is, is hurting exponentially from you writing off or from you not paying back $5,000, they're not. And it's written in, and as you pointed out, it's written into their business model anyways, mm -hmm. so that they can continue to lend people money, knowing that X amount of people aren't going to pay this back right. and that they'll get to write it off their taxes if you don't. Right, so. right, right. So. Um, as I was preparing for the show today, I was sort of thinking about, okay, well, what, you know, we talked a lot about bankruptcy and the logistics and, but, but what where my mind goes inevitably is why are people here? What leads people to this point, right? People in general will want to avoid being at that point in their lives where they have to consider filing for bankruptcies. Um, I pulled, a, you know, I tried to find some statistics and we touched on it earlier in the show, but just like in your experience, is it one event that mostly brings people to this point and one event could be well, what, whatever it is, is it is it one you know medical event, or is it one period of time where they're unemployed and it sort of leads them to this point, or is it, or are you seeing a lot of people that have just had poor habits throughout their lifetime and and just didn't know how to manage their personal finances and just you know got themselves you know over time into a bad situation? Are you seeing like any trends in terms of who is at this point? Yeah, yeah, I. I think probably about half my clients are what the latter of what you described, which is that it's just kind of creeped up on them, right? Yeah. They took out credit card here, they took out a credit card there, um, they lose their job, and then it becomes too much to pay back. The other half of the people that I represent have uh, some sort of traumatic event that is a catalyst to this. Uh, maybe it's a divorce, maybe mm. it's um, uh, a, a medical, an unforeseen medical complication, um, a death in the family that forced them to take time off from work. Um, mm. Or uh, one that I've sadly had to represent two people, uh, multiple debtors about recently is um, uh, fraudulent like internet scams. Oh, that's um, so sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you've seen the, the stuff in the news about these like dating websites and stuff, but it, it, people will meet a, a, a partner online, think that they're in love with this individual <sighs> and will... Um, and essentially that individual will take advantage of them, will force them to run up credit cards or will... Oh, that's um, so sad. Yeah, yeah. And then they yeah. come to find out that, that this person doesn't exist, right? Like that, that it was oh a fraudster God. in some foreign country uh, who was having them wire, wire them money and things like that. So it's, 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 it's tragic. Really and those sad. situations yeah. break my heart. And, but it also is the reason why I love doing it because unlike doing divorce work or, um, or criminal stuff where at the end of it, everyone's still upset, right? Cause they're either in jail or they just got divorced at the end of a bankruptcy. Generally my clients are very 
just relieved. Oh, there was okay. an yeah. there's an albatross that was around their neck for years, and they just have this sense of relief, and that 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 joy and elation is what what allows me to keep coming back to this. Oh, and, that's nice. Yeah, I love it. I think you and I maybe have that in common in our careers. I can't tell you how many people walk out of my office after coming on board as a client and say, you know. Thank you so much. I'm so relieved by this. It's just, you know, yeah. these are different burdens that, that we can help people be relieved of, but um, but the rewarding side of our careers, I guess, and similar yeah. in that regard. Um, I just, I went to a, not a government website, not the U.S. court website, but I found a website called debt.org, which is not a government website. It looked like an independent, uh, probably a for-profit organization. They, mm-hmm. they look to have some statistics um, regarding uh, bankruptcy and what causes them. And I just found a little blurb there that said, according to a study published in early 2005, this is going back away, a ways, 46% of bankruptcies were related to outstanding medical conditions. Mm. The major cited reasons in this category included injury or illness, medical expenses not covered by insurance, or losing at least two weeks worth of work because of the illness. And then it went on to say, but economic changes shortly after the study's completion have led to drastic changes in the reasons cited for bankruptcy. Since 2005, commonly reported causes of bankruptcy included reduced income, job loss, credit debt, illness or injury, um, and preparing uh, unexpected expenses and preparing for divorce. So that's like a lot of different things. Um, yeah. it, it's interesting. And I was trying to think of like, when was Obamacare? Was that like 2008? I wonder if this Nine. is, rel- oh, it was yeah. 2009. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if, you know, uh, for a period of time anyway, maybe, you know, the medical expense related bankruptcies may be subsided, you know, or were right. reduced. Um, still obviously uh, common based on your personal experience anyway and some of the statistics, but but interesting and it saddens me too that divorce is one of them. You know, we've ha- I've done right. shows before on how um, d- divorce is just, it's expensive. It's expensive for people to, to maintain like uh, the lifestyle that they were maintaining on two incomes on one income. It's just, you know, a lot of people just can't afford it. And it's, and it's sad. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've did a whole show once on, can you afford to get divorced? And it's just, it's, it's awful. Um, but it, you know, it may, when you examine the numbers, it makes sense, right? Most, most couples and families are living on two incomes. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. Um, and so to go from a two-income household to a one-income, two households, right? Almost double the expenses, right? If yeah. you're, you're two homes and things like that, that's just very, um, very expensive, and that's very sad. Um, and related to that, Alyssa, I I just want to point out so the, mm-hmm. something that we didn't talk about. There are certain debts that can't be discharged okay. in a Chapter Thirteen or a Seven, right? And and one of those. Um, is related to like child alimony support, and child support. Right? Okay, alimony and child support. Yep. So that's a, so someone like that, if they came to me and they owed a bunch of alimony and child support, I'm not going to suggest that. Them. The yeah. other big one and the evolving nature of this one, um, it kind of ties into your where is the field of bankruptcy going? Uh, is student loans, um, oh, and yeah. it's it's a it's a uh, difficult nut to crack. And right now, the uh, the way that the code is written, uh, generally you can't discharge student loans. There are extenuating circumstances where you might be able to, um, if it causes an undue hardship on the debtor. Mm. Um, but they're like 
we're starting to see more and more case law about that. And that's that I think is where the field is going because some of these lenders, um, particularly the federal government are charging like 8% interest on Mm -hmm. these hundred thousand dollar loans. Um, and it's, it's, it's going to come back to, to haunt people at some point. Right. Because I mean, it already is. Yeah. Right. It already is. Right. Right. We, we already see a whole generation of people who are buying houses later in life. Um, you know, who are having financial problems as a result of it, who are defaulting on their student loans earlier and earlier. Um, so it's it's a problem. And I don't know, in, in one avenue to, one solution to it might be to uh, free up the, well, essentially loosen the protections as to being able to discharge student loan debt. Yeah. But I don't know. I, As it's written now, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. I but. could go on for another two hours about the cost of college and student loan debt yeah. and, and uh, the fact that a lot of people that take on student loan debt really can't afford it and should have, shouldn't have taken much of it on. And yeah. uh, that's parents and kids. And, you know, we, we could go on about that for a long time. And yeah. um, I just keep hoping that, you know, community college enrollments will keep going up and trade schools and vocational schools, schools yeah. will, you know, keep yeah. going up. And I, I think that's slowly happening, but it's slow. Um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. We'll have to save those discussions for another day, Sean, because we're about out of time. We have two minutes. Um, any other closing comments? You've been awesome, by the way. Thank you so much. Any other closing, uh, comments, anything else you didn't touch on that you wanted to? No, I, well, thanks, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. This has been like, this has been awesome. Uh, Great way to start my morning. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I think, I I think the short is, is that Bankruptcy is not right for everyone, but it's it's also right for a lot of people, right? Like yeah. there there is like many things that there are stigmas surrounding, like mental health and things like that. Mm. I feel like bankruptcy has a stigma around it that like shame on you for you know yeah. taking advantage of that. It's, it's but it's nobody a, needs to know except you, like right, their attorney, right? right? right. And right. It's the same thing with reverse mortgages. Nobody wants to like people to know that they did a reverse mortgage, but nobody's going to know. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, who cares? It's a a financial decision between you and your family. It's a financial tool. Yeah. 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 But I love that. Great closing comments. Um, Thank you so much. This has been Sean P. Kelly with Marcotte Law Firm, uh, main office in Lowell. Is it okay if I give out the phone number, which is right on your website? Um, 978-458-1229. Again, Sean Kelly, 978-458-1229. We already determined bankruptcy attorney extraordinaire, Marcotte Law Firm. Um, Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time this morning. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You can find out more about me at McNamaraFinancial.com. Our office number is 781-834-2010. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening. Sean, thank you again. We'll see you next time. All right, take care. Bye-bye.